Hello and welcome to Moonshot, a show by Peak15 that profiles innovative startups and inspiring founders and thought leaders who are dreaming big, making an impact and driving change across the region and beyond. We hope this podcast will give you fresh ideas on how to start and scale an enduring company. The artificial intelligence space is evolving week to week as more people and companies adopt AI across different aspects of their life and work. One person who's been at it for over a decade is Ashwini Asokan, co-founder and CEO of Mad Street Den. In 2016, Ashwini and her husband, Anand Chandrasekharan, a neuroscientist, left their life in Silicon Valley to return to India and launch the company. Their first offering was View AI a product focused on the retail sector. Since then, they've built products for many other verticals, including finance, healthcare, and logistics. On this episode of Moonshot, Peak 15's Anandamoy Roy Chowdhury, or Roy as we call him, chats with Ashwini about the evolution of Mad Street Den into a global AI leader, the state of adoption across enterprise AI, and how she's raising her kids to coexist with artificial intelligence. So Ashwini, I recently met a journalist and she said, uh, hey, tell me about what exciting AI companies you guys are working with. And I was like, well, you know, let me tell you about MSD. And she was like, well, MSD can't possibly be doing AI. They've been at it for too long. Uh, and I was like, well, there may be something to that. I did meet Ashwini almost 10 years ago. Uh, well, how do you respond to that? Though? We had just come back from the US. We didn't know anyone. That's literally true other than family. We'd never worked in India. And we were trying to set up base here um, and kind of go back and forth to the valley. And we just had this kind of glimmer of an idea. Um, we wanted to build a very specific type of AI platform. And we saw kind of, you know, enterprises building on top of this AI platform. We wanted to build this company. Um, and at that point, it was literally the beginning of that whole deep learning wave in the valley when we decided we wanted to do this. And our philosophy of how we wanted to build a platform in so many ways was very contrarian to what we were seeing happening in the Valley at that point, right? And so that was one, we didn't want to be in a, in a space where they're very different from what where our heads were at with reference to how we wanted to build AI. And secondly, we actually wanted to come back home. We wanted to, like Chennai is a deep tech university town of the country here, right? Like, like you've got so many universities um, and we wanted to dig into that kind of talent and build this enterprise out very closely at home, you know, with the talent we believed, um, um, you know, that we wanted to be a part of, you know, um, this story. And, and at some level, you know what they say, right? The revolution will be televised and we wanted it to be televised from Chennai. And I remember when we came and said these stories, we met one guy who was like, yes, one. <laughs> that one guy was you, Roy. And uh, I think the rest is history. No, I, I remember that actually, you know, uh, I, that meeting is is pretty fresh in my memory. We uh, met in the context of the hackathon. Uh, no, I think, you know, for me, obviously, the you know, a lot of the excitement was around the fact that building a platform is a extremely difficult endeavor. And so the ability to sort of think about that, to have the backgrounds uh, not just in uh, AI, but also in design that allow you to sort of think about how to put something like that together was not something we easily intersected with, you know, in the context of companies you're meeting. And so that, to a very large degree, drove a lot of the excitement at my end. Yeah. Uh, I want to start off by saying that what 
what we're seeing in the market today and all the hype that you're seeing today is what I call the consumerization of AI. All right. You have big tech out there, your Googles and your Apples and your Facebooks of the world that are building fantastic consumer-centric AI platforms that allow people to do a lot of things that are good enough. You can write good enough emails, good enough marketing material, good enough lot of things. This is not who MSD has ever been, and this is not what we aim to be. This is what gets the cycles of news out there in the market. What MSD does is enterprise AI. Enterprise AI is the exact opposite of good enough, right? And there has never been a more exciting time for enterprise AI. And, um, you know, it's taken its while. Um, cloud adoption, data adoption, AI adoption takes time. But enterprise AI is nothing like what you see out there in the market today. It's the wild, wild west. And we believe we're the absolute forerunners there as part of that whole enterprise AI race. Okay. So that's that's inter interesting. And I think the enterprise AI angle is, again, sort of an interesting sort of uh, way of describing what we do at MSD. Uh, but again, question for you there, right? The Again, the perception here is that, you know, most people, when they talk about enterprise AI, they talk about sticking, uh, you know, an enterprise-grade LLM, which is basically their own sort of model, uh, on a sandbox and saying, hey, you know, look at us. We have uh, enterprise AI. Yeah. Is that is that what you mean or is there is there something else going on here? Enterprise runs on three things. Efficiency, efficacy, accuracy. Three things that enterprise runs on, right? And one of the most fundamental tenets of making AI work in enterprise is that your platform has to be extensible across workflows. You can't just come in and like wave a magic wand and be like, I'm doing this single application. Here's a model. Go do whatever you want to do. Right. Let's take the case of someone like um, this $20 billion healthcare staffing marketplace out of the U.S., right? Healthcare is absolutely crumbling in the U.S. Everybody knows that, um, especially post-pandemic, you know, surgeons, nurses basically are being flown across states to provide care on demand, right? So now you have systems that basically have to come alive to enable this kind of transaction and this plying and this whole experience of healthcare. Um, we're working with this company, literally one of the largest in its category today, um, to do not just, so people are uploading these doctors, these surgeons, these nurses are uploading hundreds of paperwork into this system every day, right? And you can't go and, and they've tried, this company had already tried out all kinds of RPA tools, all kinds of language models to basically automate the you know, this could be social security cards, this could be, you know, vaccine records, this could be any kind of document that basically comes through the system, right? What MSD does here with this platform is automatically recognize what's going on inside all of these documents. It matches, it reconciles across all the different IDs, make sure there's no fraud, all of this is reconciled, everything is matching and validated and extracted out of all of this content. And it basically, the story doesn't stop there. If you actually think about it, we now know more about the user or the consumer that's coming on this platform better than anyone else. So it makes most sense for us to be the people that are personalizing the job recruitment, right? Which means instead of just shoving, here are 150 jobs for you that are open, that are relevant to you, you neurosurgeon. Now it's a question of, is the state relevant to you? 
Is this the kind of hospital that you work at? Is this the kind of timing you work? Are these weekends working for you? There's a whole profile and aspect to this person now that you can personalize, making sure that they're getting the job that they want the most, right? And it's a pretty stressful thing to imagine someone just flying across the globe providing, you know, healthcare services and to be able to create that fantastic customer experience to make sure you're giving them exactly what they want, right? At any given point of time is ridiculously important, right? And so all of a sudden we've gone from being perceived as this, oh, you can do document processing to, oh, you can match and validate all of these to, oh, you're a personalization provider to, oh, now we're moving into optimization and a whole lot of other use cases. The point here is that enterprise AI is not a one-shot wonder. It is not a magic wand. You just don't go and drop a bunch of models and say, see you. If you look at the McKinsey reports, the Bain reports from the last, say, five years, two stats stand out. Only 25% of models ever created in the last five years have been deployed in production. 25%, right? That is an alarming number if you actually think about it. And even that 25% that has basically been in production, you're having a large army of data scientists and ML folks who just keep constantly feeding it data because it's breaking in the wild, seeing a lot of new data and constantly breaking. And on the other hand, this other massive stat that keeps coming up no matter where you go, $50 billion flushed down the toilet in the last five years in AI investments because they haven't necessarily produced the kind of efficiency and efficacy and trust and you know numbers that these companies. And so for us, the story really comes back down to, are you able to save costs? Are you able to save time? Are you able to grow revenue and provide fantastic customer experiences, right? And that's the place that we play in as a company. Got it. Ashwin, that sounds like something that might be very hard for a single LLM to do. Uh, how how widespread is this? Like, are you, is this like a single company that's doing this? Do we have more such examples? What's the, what's the general state of adoption for enterprise AI? Yeah, I think, so our journey started off with retail. You know that? I mean, that was one of the things that, um, back in 2016, 17, when we decided to take the platform to market and we said, oh, we have this whole platform. You can build any application you want on top of it. It is a generalizable AI engine that can detect all kinds of data. And people went, what? Right. Um, uh, obviously, that story is very different today because you've got something like an open AI that people are like, oh, I see what this is. I understand what this is. So I think fair to say some of those story of the platform was seven years too early. Right. But at the same time, we were happy enough to say, okay, tone it down, right? Let's take one product, everything around our image recognition piece, go to the retail industry and be like, guess what? I'm going to use computer vision to deliver the best set of consumer experiences that you've ever seen before, right? And if you're someone that is going to click on a pink polka dot address and I click on a pink polka dot address, your second click is a polka dot address, your third click is a bandana, the algorithms are looking and saying, Roy is looking for retro 70s clothing, right? But Ashwini is looking for pink dresses, completely different. And retailers just went up, e-commerce guys just went up and went, wow, you mean you're talking about an intent-driven AI engine that understands real time what each person is doing. And in the process, you can clean my data, manage my inventory, and you can do all of this other stuff. Fantastic, right? So the story really started off for us with retail, right? Um, fast forward four years, five years, we basically said, you know what? The premise is the same doesn't matter which industry you go to, whether you go to retail, whether you go to finance, whether you go to insurance, whether you go to healthcare, every large enterprise has the same four problems. And this is a pretty, how do I say this? This can be a little like alarming to say, what do you mean every large enterprise can be brought? It is true, right? Everybody has data problems. 
They need to clean their data, have the best quality data, so that any AI you can do on top of it is actually meaningful, right? That's one of our core offerings. Second, once the data is clean, I can now actually start providing fantastic customer experiences. Exactly the, the example that I just told you, whether it's in the case of the healthcare staffing company or this $60 billion you know, um, e-commerce marketplace that we power for customer experiences and inventory cleanup and planning, same story. Doesn't matter. Clean data, create fantastic customer experiences, automate the processes along the way, and then be able to optimize in an efficient manner. Show me one enterprise that doesn't have these four problems, right? And so for us, whether it's retail, insurance, we work with multi-billion dollar insurance companies, multi-billion dollar uh, finance companies, exact same story. Person comes in, loan application, uploads an insane amount of documents, right, to apply for the loan. Now the person on the other side has to actually sit and see each and every document, right, review all of all of that is now essentially automated. You've got reconciliation, matching, fraud detection, pulling in all of those documents. And then guess what? The consumer piece of the puzzle kind of uh, platform kicks in to say, what should we actually give what, you know, this person? What are the different offers we have? What can we as an organization give this person for the application that has come in? Right? What makes the most sense? What is the risk? How can you optimize? And then the optimization story really becomes, should we settle? We have like three years of collections blending with this person. Are they really going to pay? Look up their history and their profile. Let's figure out how much we can actually collect. All of a sudden, doesn't matter whether you're talking about pharma, healthcare, insurance, finance, retail, it's the same four problems no matter where you go. And that is essentially where we are as an organization today. And Ashwin, like, you know, I think firstly, you know, uh, my love for polka dresses is not a secret. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Uh, but secondly, uh, to the point you were making about these all these enterprises having the same set of problems, right? Like a fairly standard and somewhat tired cliche is that, oh, you know, you deploy AI, people are going to lose their jobs. Uh, and what you are describing is is essentially that, right? Because, you know, what you're saying is, you know, you can do a lot of the sort of error handling and special casing that you would traditionally have said you know, is the domain of human intelligence. What's the, how, how do you think about that? And how do we sort of, you know, what do we say to people who, who believe this? I, I mean, I've been on this whole tirade for what, like six, seven years since I, I spoke about this whole brain spots and bullshit. I, I don't think my story or, on, or stance on this topic has changed, right? Which is people's jobs have always been changing, right? From time and memorial, and the job just keeps changing as you're, you know, as the market changes, as the technology adoption changes. And one of the things that I, I've been speaking about, especially recently, is if you think about SaaS, right? You have people behind UI entering data, right? And, and storing data and doing a bunch of workflows. We went from there to replacing it with model building software. And instead of anybody, we said it's now data scientists and ML folks. It's broadly the same thing. Instead of sitting behind SaaS software, you now have people sitting behind model building software, right? And now we're basically headed is saying, oh, wait, if all of that can be automated, then what are we people going to do? I think the question, and, and I'm seeing this with stylists, merchandisers in the e-commerce space. I'm seeing this with teachers in the ed tech space. I'm seeing this with, you know, people who are processing these loans and people who are recruiters. I'm seeing this across all of these different jobs, across these different organizations. Companies are not 
downsizing teams, at least in the spaces that we are working in and the enterprises we're working with. And some of the CIOs and CDTOs, right, the chief digital transformation officers, so much of their work and their vision is about what is the role of these people now, right? If, if we're, and the answer is very simple. Imagine a really, you know, all of these surgeons and all of these nurses who are calling in and who are working to kind of be placed across the country in such stressful times. The job of the recruiter is to actually make sure that the person is taken care of, not to send 150 irrelevant jobs to them and instead spend time on something that AI is never going to work on, which is making the person on the other side have a fantastic customer experience. And so all of a sudden what you're seeing is that software is instead of doing eight hours of number keying and, and you know key typing in there, it's basically one hour of that because the other seven hours has been automated and you're spending seven hours instead providing a fantastic customer experience. You're on the phone, you're talking to the people on the other side, you're doing the job that you should have been doing in the first place. Got it. No, and so, you know, in, in some ways this is... Uh... You know, this is a tried and tested sort of theory of of, uh, of the evolution of mankind, right? Which is that every time we've built a new tool or had a sort of a tooling revolution, what what we've ended up with is humans essentially ascending the cognitive chain to you know to That's higher right. sort of value activities. That's right. Uh, and tools make us more effective, and this is a. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And and also, can you imagine the fatigue, right, of someone sitting mm. behind a laptop just keying in stuff for like ten hours? Like I, I, all of a sudden, I think. There is emphasis on things like that, right? Like, like fatigue jobs versus jobs where you should have been doing that to begin with. And that should have been your job to begin with. No, for sure. I think, you know, uh, you know, at least in the VC world, you know, it's not a it's not a role that is often associated with fatigue. But we've also used machine intelligence quite effectively uh, just to keep an eye on just a larger and larger number of companies, right? So, you know... Uh, I've never really reduced our need for hiring the you know the folks we hired and all of that stuff. But what it's done is it's you know it's sharpened our spear and given us a chance to sort of you know uh, look at companies more carefully and not miss things again because of the fatigue you talk about, which is you know you get you know um, you look at a company you know ten times in a row you can miss uh, you can miss things because you you know the narrative is set in your head and things of that nature. Ashwini, just if you had one stat to share on how real the enterprise AI revolution is, what would that be? Like, just from an, let's take an MSD lens on this. Um, is this stuff real or is this a 2024 roadmap item? No. Let me, um, I'll give you three stats. Mm-hmm. Um, the multi-million dollar cohort for MSD has grown 6x in the last year. Actually, is that one to six? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> I'm definitely not telling you that. Um, and also, have you been reading the updates? Because you should know. <laughs> so that's one. Um, two, our 100 to 300K cohort has grown 123% in the last year. And this is entry. This is not average, right? This is entry SEV. Um, Our partnerships, and, and you know, we definitely see a partner-first kind of approach because our audience is a is an enterprise audience, Right large BPOs and IT services are already in these organizations and, and they're now working with us very closely to integrate our platform into their systems so that, you know, systems can work much faster, much better, delivering a lot more value. Our partnership side of the story has grown 217% in the last one year and is currently forecasted to grow 465% in the next nine months, right? And so 
you're talking about it's the age of enterprise AI. All right, we we'll, we'll figure that out. Uh, but no, but thank you for sharing, Ashwin. I think that you know that's. I think that's also sort of an important sort of data point, right? Like jokes aside, the fact is this stuff is serious, right? It's not, uh, you know, my worry sometimes, especially with folks who play with chat GPT, which at least is fantastic, but it can feel a little bit like a toy application, but this is stuff isn't, these aren't toy apps, right? Like moving uh, nursing and surgeons across the, you know, across the country in the US is, is, a, is a non-trivial activity. Uh, and that stuff will take some time, right? You got to, you know, you got to make sure it works. You got to make sure that it delivers the value that it delivers. And so, you know, I think uh, sort of great work on that. A, a, a little bit of an anecdote on this last night. I had someone, I had a journalist um, reach out to me um, about a story where a very large big tech company is putting out um, a virtual try-on kind of a, you know, um, studio and uh, someone reached out to me saying, are you guys worried? Like you guys were one of the first to do the generative AI on the whole, you know, model photography uh, automation. Are you guys worried? And I was like, big tech doing virtual try-on? I was like, tell me more. Like, you know, why would, like no one's going to make money off of something like that. Like why is, it's probably something that came off the labs. And the story was like, no, they're publishing. There's a whole piece that's going to come out on uh, how they're able to generate tops, which is basically blouses. And I was like, what about the pants? Well, they're not there yet. And right? And and it's it's for the end consumer, right? And 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 exact same point because Chat GPT, Stable Diffusion, Dali, they can hallucinate beautiful things. They can create these illusions of spaces that exist in in, in, in good enough space, right? When when all of a sudden you say, generate a human model for me in this body type, this clean type with this piece of clothing, you get three eyes, four fingers, right? Like, it, like you know, like one sleeve, right? Like it, 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 it doesn't work. Try going to, you know, Valentino or Gucci or, or Armani or anyone and saying like, I'm going to use this software, right? Like let's, let's, let's go. It's not going to work. You're talking about 4K resolution, generative, AI images that we do for these companies. And then you talk about this. So on one hand, I think what you're saying about this whole chat GPT thing, it's the it's ultimately that democratization, right? Everybody can use this for good enough stuff. Very different from enterprise AI. Completely different. You know, my third my third standard math teacher had told me this once, which is precision is the enemy of creativity. Uh and it's a little bit of that a little bit here, right? Which is just that there are two sort of different types of use cases. Uh, that require you to just think about these models very differently. Uh, Ashwini, switching gears a little bit. Now, you've been at, like, again, as people remind us, you've been at it for a while. Uh, we met in 2014 uh, when I was sort of very new uh, to this whole VC thing myself. Uh, and I just finished my 10-year anniversary very recently. But quick question on that, right? You've been doing this for a while. It's not been, it's not been the easiest of journeys, right? You know, we've had to wait We've had to wait a little bit for the platform to show up, for AI to have its moment. Uh, and some of the moments we thought were moments weren't really moments, you know, flatter to receive, all of that. Does this moment feel real to you? I'm resounding, yes. And I say that in a in a much more calmer, pulled back manner than a, an exciting yes, because I'm at peace with the fact that it's here. It's here, it's now... And I see this because of three things, right? 
three things really that I'm I'm spotting right now. Yes, there's the generative AI madness. Like I'm just gonna set that aside. But it, it, one good thing that's come out of that is that today when I go and tell people, oh, you know what? The fundamental IP behind this platform is vector search engines, which is now a category. And and all the keywords from seven years ago are now actual categories, right? You've got Gartner producing, you know, giving them names, their things. And so the market has come along, right? And and today when you see these stories, people actually understand on the other side, which is which is a very different place to be. So that's one, right? And I think a lot of goodness has come from, you know, like the open AIs of the world, putting stuff out that help people understand, okay, this is there, right? So that's one. Two, I think this is a very important stat that's often overlooked, right? Which is, do you know the percentage of the cloud adoption in enterprise? I was it's actually It's actually quite small compared to what yeah. I think it is. Yeah, That's then, right, right? It's yeah. in the early 20s, yeah. right? So you stood up and go, wait, what? Like it's 2023 and you're telling me we're no, somewhere no, no. around 20%? For- Just to interrupt you, but you know, it's a story that makes me very popular at parties. I keep asking people, you know, the mainframe market is growing and shrinking and everyone thinks it's shrinking. It's growing. It keeps growing. That's so, right. Uh, uh, nothing in tech truly ever dies, right? Uh, That's right. That's right. And 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 so all of a sudden, and and AI is a pre like cloud is a prerequisite for AI, right? Like I, I, like it's, it doesn't work otherwise. And and it's taken time, right? So much of the last decade has, in the name of digital transformation, has really been about companies going to the cloud, right? And even then, you're seeing you're talking about twenty percent. Right, as opposed to how much more the market has to go. So there is such a thing called these steps have to fall in place, right, before you're able to get to the other side of it. And more importantly, for us, for us today, you know, if the number one thing that we're hearing in the market and enterprise, right? What do you mean? You're telling me I can go live in 30 days, and we're like, yeah. And you mean I can build the next set of use cases in 60 days? Yeah. You mean I can build any of these use cases across? Yeah. It's a because all along you've needed a large BPO or an IT services company, a McKinsey, a Bain, an Accenture, or another four consulting companies, and to come in, sit in a room for two years, and tell you here's Snowflakes, here's DataBricks, here's this, here's this, put together a story for you, and then a two-year time frame to go implement all of that, and then start buying AI. And if you buy AI or build AI before this, what you get is no models in production, essentially, right? And so. This change, I think, is is and and people just sitting up and going, I can go live in thirty days, really, and and saying, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go, right? That friction is is just in a very different place today than no, it was seven years no, ago. That's true, and I think you know we we see that, which is the uh, you know the modern data stack got a little bit of flack for this, but getting set up, you know, getting most folks to the point where they have it up and running has helped us get to this point. Uh, there's been a little bit of a Twitter twizzy around like Indian startups and India's right to win and uh, oh we don't have enough money uh, which you know now that we are almost the third largest economy always makes me wonder a little bit but uh, what's your take on that why you know is that really an issue like why do people get so hung up on like you know hey can't do this without a ton of capital I know MSD has sort of been extremely frugal through its journey uh how 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 are you thinking about this stuff? And what's your advice again to people who are like, who look at like, hey, you got to raise a hundred million dollars if you want to even start an LLM project? What do you say to folks like? 
Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, there's some truth to it, but there's also the other side of it because we've lived that other side of the story. Um, today in the market, w without raising a billion dollars to feed our server costs, we co routinely find ourselves competing with Palantir, with UiPath, with C3.ai, with Adobe. This is broadly who we encounter in the market for us when we are out there competing, right? One could argue that makes zero sense. How do you guys even get to the table along with those names when you haven't necessarily had that kind of capital? So I, I say that our, and it's it's not the easiest path to get there without a ton of capital. If you're trying to do some foundational work, um, you know, and, and it is true, Sam Altman's words in one sense is very true, that if you are looking, what has he done? They've gone and churned up the internet, right? Right. right? So, so yeah, yeah like yeah. I'm, you're not, no, you're not going to. And I think to be fair to Sam, I think he was answering a very specific question, which was like, hey, if you want to build what I've built with that money, like he couldn't get it done. And he he's not sitting there saying, hey, I got this done in $10 million. Yeah, yeah. They raised exactly. the billion dollars. They did, they did what they had to do. And, you know, and the, at least the limitation in AI is real, right? Like, hey, yes. you don't have GPUs, what are you going to do, right? Like, yes. there's no GPUs. That's know. exactly right. Uh, so it's not a... It's not a theoretical constraint. It's a very real one today. Yes. Yeah. And the other end of that spectrum. So, but but if you don't want that to like, you know, be daunting, right? One of the reasons why MSD genuinely succeeded with very large logos, right? Like, I mean, this is this is this was another common wisdom five years ago. Like you and I remember, right? Every time we were in the market, they were like, you guys are like spending your time between the US and India, and you know, startups never make it with large enterprise. Right, you sh you should not be going behind these logos. Like you should start small, right? And for us, right from day zero, it's been the Fortune two thousand, Fortune four thousand logos. That's really been our north star all along. We haven't really changed our goal. You know, we've kind of worked with SMB to prove some of our tech, but that's always been our north star, right? So, I it is a harder climb, but there's a piece of success. There's a part of gold waiting at the end over there, right? It might be slower. Than just selling shovels in in the gold rush it might be a little bit of a slower but the value is real the stickiness is real right you, you the 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 meaning you actually add meaning to that organization right you're not easily replaceable you're not yet another vendor you're not these are names that have stayed with us for a very long time right uh, through all of our ups and downs and i think there is something to be said about the fact that back to basics don't just stay at that layer because if you're going to stay on that application layer you're going to be disrupted and you're going to be sitting around and wondering what's going on. But if you're building something real and the deep tech talent in India is mind-blowing, right? What we need is focus and we need a, a lot of clarity in terms of where are the opportunities in the stack that we can really go after as opposed to trying to say, I'm going to go boil the ocean and, you know, churn the internet, right? I, I think there are very focused opportunities that are available for us. And I think, you know, I mean, the reality of this is and that is true no matter where in the world you are. I mean, I do see... You know, sometimes run into folks in India who want to build something for India and, you know, and I think it's a fair question is why does this need to exist for India? Like, you know, there has to be an angle, there has to be a reason to exist, a right to win. Uh, and that's true in the US as well. Like, you can't really sort of, you know, go, go around, you know, laying claim to large pieces of real estate without having a very sort of solid sort of uh, right to win on that one. Uh, so, yeah, okay, you know, Ashwin again, switching gears a little bit. Uh, you know, everyone's very worried about also the long-term impact of AI because apparently, again, you know, uh, fear and this and that and all. Uh, you know, 
you have children. Uh, what are you telling them to study? How are you telling them to get ahead of this AI curve? That seems to be a question everyone's asking. So I'm also- yeah, I'm also writing about it a lot. I'm writing about it as a mom, as a parent. This is always on top of my mind. Um, by the way, my 13-year-old um, this morning was uh, sitting over breakfast at 7 and quickly sketching something. And we were like, what's going on? Why are you sketching? And so she said, oh, we have an art competition today in school. And we were like, oh, what's the topic? She was like, AI versus humans. And I was like, what? And she was like, uh, and she was like, mommy, I saw a couple of, you know, uh, pieces of drawing on the books that you have on your table. And she was like, and I was like, do you really want to say the story of evil AI? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, what? Like that hurt, right? Like I was like, no, that's, that's not what you should be doing. Um, but my point here is things are going to change, whether we like it or not, right? We've all seen that meme of the dog sitting on the chair with the, you know, the rest of the room on fire. It is true. It is absolutely true. This is not fear mongering. People have to figure out what scaling up looks like. And people have done it every 10 years, every 20 years. This is not new, right? Um, as the sooner, we, I mean, all of us are running to claim, you know, the space to say, oh, you know, we got to protect our kids. We do. We really do have to protect our kids. I routinely send my kids out into the playgrounds and into the fresh air and into nature because I'm like, no screens. Like, you know, you've got to be really careful about when you let the screen into your life, right? And when you don't. And things like Apple Vision Pro um, scare the daylights out of me as a parent. Um, But at the same time, I think it's really important for all of us to understand how do we use all of this new technology to be relevant, right? Our jobs are changing, right? What we're doing is changing. And you can... Choose to say, I don't want to be a part of that. That's fine. But you will become irrelevant. So that is something, to me, the way I see it, and you've seen, Roy, uh, MSD talk about AI in the context of AI nativity, or are you AI native? We keep asking this question because I see AI nativity as as a form of citizenship. You're either going to be a citizen of this world, you're going to be AI native, or you're not. And that is the reality. And, And to me, this is... This is a question of citizenship and it's a delicate balance between making sure your kids get fresh air and run out and are doing stupid, silly things. And at the same time, you're preparing them for citizenship in a world and it is equally our responsibility to do that. So that's very well said. You know, popular culture for a very long time has demonized AI, it's demonized robotics, it's demonized sort of tech, right, in general. Uh, what is sort of, you know, your, do you have like a go-to cultural artifact that you use to like, help people understand the positive sort of impact of this? Anything you recommend? Oh, wow. That is a beautiful question. Um, A cultural artifact. Uh, I was just going to say book, books. It's a a weird thing to say, but I'm just going to say, um, wow, that is an interesting question. I'm not sure I have an answer for that, but I will tell you this. I really hope that we will see more popular culture where humans coexist with AI. We don't have enough of those narratives. We need more of those narratives, right? You got to go back in time. You're going to have to go back to, you got to go to, you know, the star axis of history to understand, like, you, you know, you see Star Trek and you're like, yeah, okay. You know, there are many ways for different types of, beings to exist and you know i i even this is not just popular culture in the the movies kind of a thing but there are 
entire groups of people across the globe who are experimenting with like machine augmented bodies, right? It is real. The born itself is real. It is a future that is coming. And I, I, I would love to see more stories of, you know, in ways in which this could work together than just this us versus them, because that's not going to end well for us. Like that is not going to end well for us. So I, I mean, I would just urge people to read a lot of books because there's some fantastic writing out there that is that can show you the power of how the other, right? Um, it doesn't have to be the other. And and the sooner we figure out how to not make it the other, the sooner we're going to succeed. But here's a question for you. Like lots of folks are very excited. They're just getting started. Uh, you know, the opening eye stuff has sparked a lot of interest. And, you know, that's great. You know, we are all sort of very happy for that. What's your advice for people starting up now? Right? What do you think, uh, you know, what would you tell them? Fast forward five to seven years. This is going to look like the, like what happened with the mobile phone and the iOS app store. Right? You're going to have a whole lot of, a whole large percentage of the world that's churning out applications that are going to be like someone building an app for an iOS app store. That is where the world is headed, right? And you have to ask yourself, are you going to be that company or are you going to be the company that's actually building the infrastructure to support that, right? Because one is going to get commoditized and that's fine. If that's what you want to do, fantastic. But you're going to have thousands of players in every use case or application that you're going to be building because that's the way the world is headed. As opposed to if you're building a company that is feeding the infrastructure piece of the puzzle that enables that future, the story, that's one opportunity. And the second opportunity that that I'm seeing more and more I get closer to deep into enterprises, vertical-centric stacks, right? Now, F- MSD, for example, like FedEx is one of, you know, our customers that is building out a logistics-based vertical stack using our platform, right? It's a fantastic story. Think about a company like FedEx, right? Like a 50, 75 billion dollar company that's sitting up and going, guess what? We're going to build our own vertical stack and that's the game that we're going to play and we're going to build it on this platform and that's what you're going to get. You're going to get a lot of vertical players that are going to be able to capture value from the market and from the domain, right? So my advice is pick one of these two. This one's going to get commoditized sooner or later. And if you are playing the app game, you probably want to think about why you're going to win, right? But, but that's but it's a great time to start. There has never been a great time, better time to start. So with that, um, you know, the bog rests. Thank you, Ashwini. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks for taking the time, Roy. And thanks for going on this journey with me for as long as you have. You've been listening to Mad Street Den's Ashwini Asokan in conversation with Peak 15's Ananda Boy Roy Chowdhury. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Dewi Fabri, and for more startup stories, visit our website, peak15.com, or follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Oh, 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 o